Hi, I'm Monica Gingold and this is Uncommon. Uncommon is a production by Neural, an agency that helps both brands and talent tell their story. To learn more, just visit neural.com. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com. My guest this week, Monica Gingold, uh, co-founder of Tonic Agency, makeup artist and hairstylist. We're just having a good old chat um, about Sydney earlier. Not yeah. Sydney, but pretty much everywhere Ever, outside. Everywhere other than here. Um, were you getting? Were you travelling much for like for work or anything like that? Um, before COVID, um, not so much. Last year, I was um, in 2019. I was pregnant, so okay. um, didn't get to travel much. But the year before that, I, and like years leading up to that, I was travelling a lot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's been very interesting. We were meant to go up to Sydney uh, this Friday, but it's definitely not happening. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not happening. And hopefully I can go on my Noosa holiday in two weeks. Oh, true. That's right. You did mention that. What's going to happen if you can't? What are you going to do? I think we'll just do like a local Victorian Staycation. holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see Melbourne and Sydney, I think they were saying that hotel occupancy rates are like 30%. Like obviously Sydney's in lockdown now, yeah. but before that... It's been thirty yeah. percent, so it's super affordable to go to hotels. Ordinarily, yeah. it wouldn't be. Yeah. Now, as with all guests, we like to start off at the early stages of their life. Yep. So oh, this is like therapy. Yeah, it's it is like therapy. It's <laughs> a good point. Um, what's like your earliest inception memory? My earliest memory ever. Yeah. I have a memory when I was about two. Okay. Drinking from a bottle, like a milk bottle. Yeah. And it was a really hot. Night, I was lying in bed with my parents watching TV. <laughs> Do you remember what was on TV? Um, no, I don't. But I remember, like, I remember that it was really hot, and I was just in a singlet and a nappy. Okay. Yeah. Do you do you remember? Why do you think you remember that in particular? Do you think it was just the stage that memory started to happen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a very nothing memory, but when I sort of realised that that was my earliest memory, that I was in a nappy and I'm drinking out of a milk bottle. It's like I was a baby. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. I have a good memory. I, I can remember a lot from my childhood. Like a photographic time memory? Not quite, but a good memory for like events and mm. I remember things that people say. She's great for having arguments yeah. with my husband. <laughs> you said. <laughs> I remember. Now, yeah. when you remember those things, is that because you're thinking of the the image? Because I've tried explaining this to Lauren because I've got a very good memory as well. Her mum does as well. And we've, we both agree that it's like. You can remember the scene, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's a visual thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas, like, apparently, uh, Lauren was telling me that she doesn't really think about memories in as much as that way, like okay. not as much image based, but more like sounds and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, um, my husband remembers things by food, like by what he ate. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Like, I'll be like, don't you remember this person's birthday party? He's like, no. Like, we were at this venue. No. You were wearing that shirt. No. And he goes, oh, I ate mussels. I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's what you ate. <laughs> nice. I like that. Um, your parents? Yep. Growing up, what did they do? Uh, my mum's a teacher. Okay. Um, but she was always very creative and had a little hobby businesses on the side, like making baby accessories, headbands and socks and things like that. Okay. And growing up, my dad had a um, timber and building supplies company. Okay. But also he was, he's also quite creative in his own way. He studied engineering and used to like making stuff and kind of Mr. Fix-It around the house. Interesting. Yeah. So this timber 
business was his own or he yeah. worked for someone? Okay. Yeah, it was his own business. Was there like any lessons that you remember picking up from your parents directly or indirectly at all? Um, I always remember my mum telling my dad he didn't pay himself enough. That was like okay, an yeah, ongoing That's pretty typical theme. of owning a business. Yeah, them talking about business. <laughs> and I remember when my mum would make these like baby's headbands, she just sold them in like little baby boutiques. I think at one point she got them into David Jones and then someone famous from like the 80s or 90s, I don't remember who it was, they were on the cover of Women's Day with their baby and the baby was wearing one of her headbands and that was like a really big deal that her headband got on the cover of wow. like Women's Day. Yeah. Interesting. Did she keep the copy of the magazine? I don't know. She, she must have it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's the shit you like. I, lo- I love stuff like that, little stories like that. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a feeling that she, she must have kept it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, so growing up... They were essentially running their own businesses in a way. Um, you often see a lot about, like I mirror my dad a lot. Yep. Do you find that your parents were like really hard workers and then that was imparted on to you at any way? Um, yeah, I think growing up knowing that it was an option, that you could do your own business and do something that you really enjoyed. Mm. Um, but really for most of my childhood, my mum was teaching. So she took time off okay. to have kids and do these little businesses and then went back to teaching when I was in primary school. Yeah. Um, and she she just worked so hard as a teacher. Like yeah. she, was, she was one of those amazing teachers. Growing up, I felt like she was a celebrity because everywhere that we went, <laughs> people, people would were know, like, yeah. Mrs. Gingold. Like they couldn't yeah. believe that she had like this life outside of school. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but funny. probably my um, real introduction to business started when I was a teenager. I um, was always really into hair and makeup just as a hobby and my school offered a program that you could go to the TAFE nearby and do a TAFE subject instead of a school subject. Uh, And I heard that there was hairdressing. You could do certificate two in hairdressing counted as a school subject. And I was like, yes, please, I really, really want to do that. I went to a private school. I was the only person in the school who's ever done the program. Okay, so is this the VC VET system? Um, Not even. I was in year nine. Okay. So it was just counted as a school subject, didn't count towards VCE. Interesting. Yeah. And so I went and did that. So on Fridays I didn't go to school, I went to TAFE. Wow. And learnt to do a bit of basic hairdressing and all the fundamentals of hairdressing, which was awesome. And I learnt to braid hair, which I didn't know how to do. And then I really wanted to practice braiding hair. So I have little cousins who are like five-ish years younger than me. And I braided their hair in like Bali braids, you know, like when people would go on yeah, holiday yeah. to Bali and they'd get like the like really skinny cornrows. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would practice on them. And then they went to school and my auntie rang me and said, all the girls in their class want their hair done like that. And they all asked for your phone number. Can I start giving your phone number out to people? <laughs> and I was like 15 and like living at home. And I was like, sure, you can give out like my parents' landline because I didn't have a mobile. <laughs> and people started calling and were like, can I bring my kid? Like, how much do you charge? And I was like, wow. I don't, I don't know. How much do I do? And I would say to my parents, how much should I charge? They were like, I didn't know what the going rate was. Well, I had what no did you, what idea. Did you start I think I worked it out. It was like $25 a kid. It took me about an hour and a half. Okay. That kind of thing. What what year are we talking? Um, This would have been like 2002 maybe-ish, okay. early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then so for the summer holidays, I would just have like all these kids come into my parents' house, I'd plonk them in front of the TV and just braid their hair. 
I would ring the orthodontist and say, I need those rubber bands that, you know, that like. No shit, yeah, the And then go, because they give them to you for free. So I'd go and pick up these little baggies of tiny rubber bands. That's and that's so what I used to braid their hair to tie off wow. the braids. And I just had kid after kid <laughs> after kid for the school holidays. And every child that I did would go to their family and then those kids would see it and then yeah. get another phone call. And so that was my Word of mouth for business. Referral. That was my very first um, business, introduction to business and being a business owner when I was like 15. Wow. Yep. So di- how did the business end up going at, at some point? Did you say I've had enough of this? Or Yeah, I think probably as I was getting close to year 12, I didn't want to do it maybe mm. that year or I would only maybe I'd only do it in the school holidays and then sort of got over it and wanted to start charging more and but it was it definitely showed me that it was really easy to build a business if you did a good job it was really easy to grow a clientele yeah as long as the product is good yeah. so th- there's a lot of principles there that you're learning in like without realizing yeah i was learning a lot without realizing yeah and so when i decided that i really wanted to do hair and makeup as a career my parents could see like yeah i was like getting it was clients a already yeah and what if I could do more than just braids? What if I could do different hairstyling and do makeup as well? And yeah. it was just kind of like, I think a lot of people have fear going into a creative business thinking like, oh, you know, can you make enough money? Will you get clients? And it was just like, I'm already doing yeah, it. And I'm it. Yeah, without even really trying. So it made me realise, yeah, good good work, power of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. You can you can build a business. So, so we grew up in similar areas. I had a lot of... Jewish mates growing up um, played a bit of soccer and footy with Ajax and there's always a strong crossover between like the, there's a strong Greek community there and quite a lot of like obviously a lot of Jews in Caulfield and um, we all had parents that were very similar. They were running businesses. So in that era, so you're only a couple of years older than me. Um, my dad was always like, you've got to do a profession. Like you've got to be an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer, a consultant or banker or something like that. He did not want, he was a printer, right? So he had a factory in Moorabbin. He did not want me to go into that business at all. And he was a fourth generation printer. It's kind of sad almost because like it's, there's all that history in the family. Anyway, so were were your parents at all like that? that, Did they have like this obsession with a certain career at all? No, I was... So lucky to have the parents that I did. My grandparents were a bit like that okay. because they're more old school and they would say just like maybe just go to uni, like just go do just, arts. Just to fall back on it, just right? Just do arts. That's what, yeah. that's what my grandmother used to say. Um, but my grandfather used to come over and visit us every day and every day he saw I had a different person sitting in the chair in front of the TV okay, and so he was just like, <laughs> you're like, and then he'd see them like hand cash over and then leave and then the next person came and handed cash over and he was like, uh, this is amazing. <laughs> so... I think once he sort of saw it actually physically happening and I wasn't I wasn't going to go to uni, I had no interest in doing that. So okay. um, my parents were amazingly supportive. And also, just as a little bit of a sort of side story, I um, dealt with chronic fatigue for most of my teenage years. That's right. I really struggled with school and chronic fatigue and I had a lot of time off school. But when the school musical was on and I could do makeup for the school musical, I just couldn't keep me at home. I had to go. It was mm. like the most inspiring and I don't know, it was just the most amazing experience that didn't matter how I was feeling. I was prepared to deal with the consequence of being 
really unwell if I could mm. just go and do makeup at school. So I think when they also saw how much of a positive impact it was having on my life, it was like, you have to do that as a career. How could you not do that? It's making you so happy. Yeah. Chronic fatigue, I remember for me, was like a scary one. I, I, I just remember this older boy at school because I was playing soccer in the sort of older team or the senior school team and like because of that because I was younger and naive people would like point things out to me and it sounds awful in hindsight but he pointed out a kid who had cerebral palsy and he was like that boy has chronic fatigue like don't get chronic fatigue and I remember thinking like oh my god that's fucking awful in hindsight it's very very different things but so my brother's had chronic fatigue for yeah. quite a while actually I think he still takes medication for it um Explain that to to how that sort of comes about. Um, it happens differently for different people. So some people it can be post-viral, so after having, um, what's it called, when you get the really sore throat? Like um, tonsillitis? Um, the other one. Like a infection? Yeah. Now I've got like a mental blank. Oh, my God, this is what happens after Laryngitis, baby. meningitis. <sighs> Like mono, what's mono? Oh, mono Glandular fever. Glandular fever? Yeah. Okay. No, that's what it was, is glandular fever. Yeah, so often people get chronic fatigue after having glandular fever. Okay. Um, that, that's not what happened to me. I um, just was really involved in school life and really involved in a lot of co-curricular activities and just kind of burnt myself out like one year, just was very active in different school activities. And then the summer holidays came around and I just sort of fell into like a pile and thought I'll just rest it off for the whole school holidays. And six weeks later, I was no better. I just was um, so like deeply, deeply fatigued. And mm. I just became like a really different person. And it take, you need to be have feeling really, really unwell for about six months to get a diagnosis. So wow. um, it was a bit of a journey. Is it a is it a functional disease? Like I've got IBS and they call that a functional disease, which is really it, it's a sim it's actually a symptom of something else. Yeah. Um there's a lot that's really unknown about chronic fatigue. So yeah. they don't really know. I don't I don't know if it would be called a, a functional disease, but now they're talking that it could be a um autoimmune-related disease. So right. there's just a, a really a lot that's unknown and it's a syndrome so different people may experience it in quite different ways and to that's, different yeah. degrees of severity as well. It's so, the same thing with IBS, yeah. irritable bowel syndrome. It yeah. is a syndrome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that stuff's really hard because because it's chronic. You yeah. spend so long in the system. Yeah. Like I've only now come out of it. I first found I had IBS when I was like 21, 22 I'm 31 recently and I think only in the last year I've finally been able to settle on like how to manage, you manage it. it. Yeah. And you probably time. go through periods where it's like more under control and, and less under control up. and yeah. trying to figure out what your triggers were. and Yeah, all that stuff yeah. was like painful because, you know, when you have something like that, they always think it's something else. Yeah. And so you have to get this regime of tests, yeah. so to speak. Similar with chronic fatigue. Because yeah. you have to kind of rule out that feeling tired is a really common symptom of lots of other things. So they Very, have to yeah. rule out that it's not your iron or your diet or sleep related or, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. In 10 years, I think I've had four gastroscopy colonoscopies. Just it's like totally unnecessary when now they know what yeah. the actual thing was. Yeah. But yeah, it's stuff like that. And he spent so much money on medical bills. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so early studies in career, high school, 
um, at a very young age, you obviously realized makeup's the thing. Yep. Makeup or hair is the thing. I had this note here that Jacob and I found around um, a teacher pushing you towards drama at high school to sort of learn how things were done. Does that sound right? Um, sort of. Yes, yeah, sort of. So there was a teacher, um, it was like a student teacher came to do these like activities um, uh, with okay. us. I think I did drama because it was like a creative subject and it wasn't really into the academic stuff. Um, and he sort of went around and asked everybody like what their passions were or what did they want to be when they grew up. And most people either didn't know or said something that I would consider pretty boring. <laughs> and when I said that I really loved hair and makeup and like, mind you, I didn't know what that really meant because mm. I knew I didn't want to be a hairdresser in a salon and I didn't want to be a beautician that did like waxing or like painted okay. nails. That was also no interest. That was too small, but I really wanted to do hair and makeup and I, I thought maybe movies, that's sort of what I thought I would do. Like how could I do famous people's hair and makeup? And he like lit up and he was like, okay, this is awesome and I can really help you and um, was really encouraging of me pursuing that, not just as like this hypothetical dream. And there was a teacher at the school who used to be a makeup artist before she was a teacher and she was doing makeup for the school play. It was like a big deal at my school. They put in like quite a big production and they'd get outside directors in and it was like a whole thing. And she was going to do makeup for the school play and he said, I'm going to introduce you to her and she's going to, you can be her assistant. I was like, (laughs) yes, please. And so because he was... Um, like a student teacher, he'd been like brought in to do this extracurricular kind of stuff. That wouldn't have happened from any of the regular teachers in the school, even the like careers counsellors, other than the one who introduced me to the TAFE course, which yeah. was amazing. Um, the school was like kind of like your parents. It was like a really academic oh, focus. Oh, yeah, they're, 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 they were pretty much useless. The career counsellors for me in my school yeah. were useless yeah. as well. So the one who told me about the TAFE was awesome, but then when I, in year 11 and 12 you had to pick your subjects and then do your application yeah. through VCE, um, I'd found the course that I wanted to do, which was a Diploma of Entertainment Makeup at Swinburne. Okay. And when you had to put down eight preferences, I remember it so clearly going for the meeting and yet, you know, there was eight lines and you had to put in <laughs> yeah, your preferences. There. And I said, okay, number one, Entertainment Makeup at Swinburne. She goes, okay, number two. And I was like, that's all. Yeah. She's like, you're going to put something else down. I said, no. She said, so what are you going to do if you – it was an interview. You had to get in. You had to get accepted. They only okay. took 20 people a year. It was wow. really small. And I said, then I'll go and do a hairdressing course and then I'm going to apply again the next year and they'll take me because they want people that do hair and makeup that I'd known. Okay. I'd gone to meet the coordinator and that's what she'd said. Uh-huh. If for whatever reason you don't get in, go and do hair and then you're more likely to get in second year. And she just wouldn't let me. She's like, why don't we put down graphic design? I said, because I don't want to be a graphic designer. She <laughs> yeah. why don't we put down teaching? You could do art teaching. I said, because yeah. I don't want to be an art teacher. I was like, I don't understand this conversation. You're the careers counsellor. How am I educating you? This is what I want to do. How many people come in here knowing so clearly what they want to do when they're 17? Yeah, so it's, she it's, was so useless <laughs> and like wanted to put all these other things down. I was like, no. yeah, I remember. I remember this exact conversation. I remember after I got my score because I missed out on. Um, I was like, I don't know why. I was so set on going and doing commerce at Monash, and I'd missed out by like half a mark. <laughs> or like you know, you had to get like eighty three, and it was like eighty two point five or something ridiculous yeah. like that. And she was like, oh, you should go to should go to ACU and like, cause they have like a similar system and you can transfer over and all that. And so I did that and I remember getting there and thinking like, why the fuck am I at this uni? Like the course is not anything like what the commerce course was like. And also you had to do these compulsory 
sort of philosophy subjects, like religious philosophy. And I was like, this is not going to help me at all. And I just remember, yeah, the conversations I had were not, uh, they weren't useful. Yeah. 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 But it's good to know at least I was so misguided as to what I wanted to do at that age. Yeah. It sounds like you were very certain. Yeah, I was really lucky. Like, yeah, that my um, parents were so on board and we did go and seek out an external careers counsellor who was the one who told me about the course at Swinburne. So if I hadn't had that guidance and I was just relying on the school for that, I don't know. I would have ended up here eventually, just probably in a bit of a roundabout way. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. So, okay, that makes sense now as to where you studied because we're like, oh, we can't find out where she studied. Yeah. <laughs> so the first year, I think, post-uni was like full of blood, sweat, tears and a bit of um, money out of pocket. I was reading about the time you went up for Mercedes Fashion Week in yeah. Sydney. When you think about that time before you really had your own brand, what was sort of the best and worst thing about that early stage of your career? Um, yeah, in those early years, I just really had it in my head that like it really wasn't about the money because if I got bogged down, I was lucky I was really young, you know, when I left school, I was like 18, so I wasn't in a hurry to move out of home. My parents went in a hurry to get rid of me, so mm-hmm. I was really lucky that like being concerned about making money wasn't such an issue. Um, so I could put my hand up and do lots of things for free because I was just really focused on networking. Okay. So anytime I heard of anything going, I was like, I'll, I'll do it. I just knew that every job that I did ended up with another job. I would meet someone on a job that then when they had another job, they would say, oh, I worked with this girl, Monica, last week. She was great. Let's use her. And I realized really quickly how easy it was to kind of build a community and get Mm. passed around. So, yeah, just was really dedicated to putting my hand up to do anything, like no ego. I just wanted to get my name out there and get experience because, like, you do a course, which was awesome, but then you come out, you have no experience. Like everyone in my class was white and in their 20s, maybe 30s, and I hadn't put makeup on anybody else. I'd never put makeup on an Asian person or an Indian person or a black person. Like nothing. It was just so narrow this little box that I was able to put makeup on. So I just needed to get experience. And um, while I learnt um, theatre makeup and that sort of thing, I didn't actually have experience being backstage in a theatre or working on actors. We worked on each other in the class. We'd pair (laughs) up and work on each other. So I needed to work on men and, like, people of different ages. And Mm. um, so, yeah, I just needed to get as much experience as I could. So I worked really, really hard even though I wasn't making much money. Yeah. Um, but it really, it paid off because, you know, slowly it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And then I met a couple of photographers. There was a, there was a turning point where I met some really amazing photographers um, who were really like on quite a good trajectory to their success and they liked working with me. Okay. And so they would, whenever they could put a team together, they would request me. And so we had a really great working Dynamic. So being good at makeup is really just a small part of the job. Being um, good on set and um, being easy to work with for photographers and clients and all of that really, yeah, makes a really big difference. And um, as they started to get bigger, because all the work comes through the photographers, like makeup is, there's like a hierarchy of. I was going to say. Yeah, makeup is like. Not the bottom, but not the top. Doesn't You don't book the makeup first. You book the photographer first and the models and that sort of thing. So when a photographer wants you that's as a makeup artist, that's really amazing. Cause so you probably realised then that the person who was really directing 
a lot of yeah. these things was the photographer. Yeah, definitely. And okay. I had a couple of photographers who were really happy for me to sit and watch them retouch. So I'd see them zoom in on these images like 100%, 1,000% wow. to see like the, you know, the eye like on a screen this big. And I'd be like, oh, my eyeliner was a little bit wonky. Okay. And I like had to train my eye to see what a computer was going to see, not just what I could see looking at a person. Wow. And if my makeup was awesome, there was less for her to retouch. Okay. And then she was like, as I got better, her job got easier. So it was a really amazing working dynamic that really trained me to be a better artist. Yeah. Do, do you think back on that period, was there a particular photographer that you've really had the strongest working relationship with to this day? Um, yeah, Emily Abbe. We worked together a lot in our early careers. She lives in okay. Sydney now and um, she's not doing as much photography anymore, but um, yeah, in those early years, we worked together a lot. Okay. Yeah. So um, it sounds like there, there was a period where you sort of you fell into doing weddings after being asked to do one. Yeah. Obviously, that leads to recommendations, that word of mouth component. There was this constant trend, it sort of seems in past interviews you spoke about, influencers asking you to join them on shoots, which is sort of another, you know, lead component in yeah. the actual shoot itself. You know, you've worked across many different brands, many different festivals. I got here Melbourne Fashion Week, the Brownlow, yeah, spring racing, and yep. so forth. You know, you're still doing it now, obviously, but the dynamic of, you know, you've gone from less. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm making assumptions, but when you're running an agency like Tonic, you become more of a creative director in yeah. a way, like like what you would have had at. The, the Mercedes Fashion Week, you've got sort of this head makeup artist yeah. and then a bunch of assistants or people doing stuff on the tools below you. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm curious, before you got to that point, was there, is there a particular moment you look back on fondness? Maybe it was a shoot or? Um, starting to do Fashion Week. It was, it okay. was, I feel like it was a turning point in my career and how I got into doing it was also, I have two really like such positive stories about how I was lucky enough to get into it because everyone, every makeup artist wants to do fashion week and right. they have small teams, maybe 20 people in a team. Um, so one was I was doing a photo shoot. I don't even know how it came about, got a phone call, got asked to do a photo shoot for Who magazine with a cast of a TV show mm -hmm. and um, there was quite a few of them. So it was me and Nigel Stanislaus who's another amazing makeup artist and he was doing half of them and I was doing the other half and he's like kind of a big deal and I hadn't met him before. So that was really awesome that I got to work alongside him. And then I didn't know, but he'd actually just been asked to be the director for creative director for Maybelline. And okay. they were going to be the major sponsor for Fashion Week for the next five years. Sydney Fashion Week or Melbourne? Yeah, uh, in Sydney. Yeah. So they did Sydney Fashion Week, the um, Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week, which is in like April. And then they do the Fashion Festival, which was like in September. So two okay. festivals a year. Yeah. And he was putting his team together and he asked me to join after seeing me work, which was amazing. And I just, if I hadn't done that job, I wouldn't have met him. I don't know if it would have been so easy for me to get on the team. Interesting. And I was a junior. So when I, he said, you know, you're a junior, can't pay you, and it's in Sydney. So I had to fly myself up to Sydney, That's put right. myself up, um, worked my ass off, like three shows a day. It was so... I, when I think about who I was at the start of the week and who I was at the end of the week, I was like a different person. Yeah. It's one of those moments, yeah. right? You, the anxiety, the yeah. tension you feel from it, but it's yeah. it's like being in another world. Yeah. And like I went into it being like, yeah, I've been asked to do like fashion wear. This is so amazing. <laughs> and then I was like, 
the like runt of the litter. <laughs> like all the other people on the team were amazing and had a lot more experience in that world than me. So I was just kind of like looking up at them being like, oh, they're all so amazing. And I had a lot to learn, which was, it was incredible. It was such an amazing week. And then when I did Fashion Week in Melbourne, um, Ray Morris was the director for those shows and she was running a um, like a workshop so you could go and learn with her in person. And I paid like thousand dollars for the day to do the course with her and um you had to bring a model so she talked for the first half of the day you had to bring a model and then you'd work on the model in the afternoon to like practice the skills that she talked about during the day Uh and most people just brought a friend but I brought a professional model because I was like I want to get good photos and I want to have like a really good canvas to work on yeah yeah exactly and um she saw me doing a little bit of makeup and she was like oh you've like you've got it I'm going to give you a challenge and gave me a photo of an Alexander McQueen runway makeup and said can you do this and so I just copied it and then she was like yeah that was awesome and she rang me that night and she was like okay that was really good and you're going to be on my team for fashion week so that was (laughs) I didn't know she was like recruiting but it was amazing and that was really a turning point and still to this day she recommends me she's in Sydney and when she has clients in Melbourne that need to be done she puts me forward for it I think that like emphasizes like I, I've been guilty of this for the last few years that I haven't, I mean, you invest, you need to invest in yourself consistently. Yeah. And sometimes you do need to put a bit of money into it. Absolutely. Like I've had this thing recently where I've really put a lot of money and time into learning to be a better strategist. Like I've had to do not courses, but like, like a lot of reading and course like that you got to pay good money for, like yeah. at least a grand or something like that out of pocket. Yeah. And in the past, like I would just be like, oh, yeah, I'll just do it through the business or I'll just learn it on the job. But no, you, I think those are where you make the little, that's where you make the jump. Totally. And like no education is wasted. You'll always learn something. Mm. And um, yeah, it's like an investment in yourself. Mm. And um, I'm curious then after that like little investment, you do this, so the short-term gain is you get picked up to do the fashion week as an assistant. Yeah. What was the long-term impact that was still correlated to that day? Can you think of anything? Yeah, well, a lot because then I think people saw that I was doing fashion week and that that's like really respected. So okay. um, it was great. I mean, I say resume. Makeup artists don't have a resume. You have like a list of stuff that you've done. Yeah. So it was great to add to my list. And if I ever went for interviews with clients, it was really impressive that I'd done that sort of work. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot of skills that then I was able to apply to different jobs. So like I would learn skills from Ray and from Nigel watching them do the demos on the model and then I'd do it on my model and be like, oh, that was awesome. And then two weeks later I'd do a photo shoot and I would apply that skill that before I did Fashion Week I didn't have mm. and it worked amazingly and the clients would be like, oh, that looks amazing and the photographers would really like the effect that it had. It was like, okay, I like learned how to do new stuff. because. Yeah. It's so easy once you've done your training. You think, yeah, now I know everything. But no one knows everything. Like there's yeah. always room to learn You're always more. Learning. Always learning. Ne- it never I still like I still like to do update training and new education and um as soon as you think you know everything, you you've you know lost in, where yeah, you need to be. That's a good point. Yeah. It was we were saying before when we we're getting coffees downstairs that it's sort of like the market. Like any creative industry, anyone can get into it. Yeah. That's the problem because how do people discern whether someone's good or not? Right. And part of that is, you know, 
obviously training, but training can lead to things like that list that you spoke about. It's the same thing in the agency business is all people want to see is case studies. Do you have a case study? Yeah. This this brand, that brand, like that's all they, they just want to know that you can do the job and you're not going to screw it up. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. You. Yes, you. Are you intrigued by this episode? If so, go to our footer on the website, N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com, neural.com. We're going to give you an insight each week. It's going to be on business, marketing, or a topic that we covered in the episode at all. We'd love your support, and it would help us in developing the intellect around this series. But without going on too much longer, let's get back into this episode. Now, speaking of agencies. Yeah. Tonic. Yeah. So, um, it was quite. it's quite obvious that it's smart, actually, how you, you cottoned on to this. There was... You were inundated. You're at a point when you're inundated for work. Yeah. And you realize you could probably capture that value of referral, essentially, in a business that you own. Yes. Which was very, very smart. But, you know, I know you met Tali at a wedding. Uh, I'm just curious, like, when did you go, okay, this this works, let's do it this way as opposed to the referral component? Yeah. Because for me, when I started the agency, we had people would ask us, how do you make a podcast? And I'd give them a list and then it wouldn't really amount to anything. They wouldn't do it or yep. they'd say it's too hard. Yeah. Eventually got to a point where we're like, okay, fuck it. We'll just do it for you and we'll charge you this amount extra yep. on top of what it costs for us. Yeah. Yes. When was that? So um, I did have a go kind of early on when I was really busy with weddings and I couldn't, um, if I was already booked that day, I couldn't service a, a particular inquiry. I'd say, I'm going to call a friend and be like, hey, can you do this job for me? And She'd say, yep. And then I'd go back to the client and say, my friend can do it for you. And I would try and manage it. But I was just doubling my admin. So I was like, this is too hard. And while I'm out on jobs, I can't reply to emails. So I just was like, couldn't do it by myself. And I just started saying to clients, oh, this is my friend, you know, A, B, and say, here are the people you can try rather than trying to actually manage it myself. And then they'd come back and they'd say, oh, she's not available that day. Do you have someone else? And I'd say, "Uh, yeah, here's here's another name. And then they'd come back. She's also not available. Do you have someone else? And I was like okay, this isn't working either. So <laughs> how can I help these people um, and still be involved but not make so much more work for myself that I was like drowning in admin and like doing all the scheduling and stuff. I could cope doing it just for myself but I really couldn't cope doing it for one other person. It was just, mm. it's so much work. So much goes into planning the hair and makeup for a wedding. There's so much back and forth that I. A lot. Yeah. And I just was kind of like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I yeah. had just put it aside for many, many years. It sat in the back of my head. I'd had a similar arrangement. I'd actually done it for another business. Another girl in my early career was running a sort of similar hair and makeup agency. I worked for her. Um, I saw some things that she did that was good, other things that I kept thinking if I was running this business, I would do it differently. So I really kept all that stuff and thought one day I'll yeah. one day I'll do it. And when people would ask me for referrals and if they'd come back to me, I was just kind of like, oh, well, like, you know, knew, I knew that there was all this potential, but mm. as a solo person, I couldn't um, couldn't cope with it. Um, and then I met Tully. So Tully was um, an event planner and I was doing makeup for lots of weddings that she was coordinating. Uh-huh. So we met doing jobs. Like I would do the bride's hair and makeup in the morning. She'd be there like setting up. If they were having the wedding at home, she'd be there setting up. So we met each other that way. Mm. And then I got engaged and I asked her if she would do my wedding because okay. I just – she had an amazing vibe. She has an aura like <laughs> – 
She's one of those people who just gets everything and I really liked her energy and she was calm but organised and she just could tell she had a handle on things. And she actually wanted to get out of doing weddings because she wanted to be with her kids on the weekend and uh-huh. I was also kind of wanting to wind down the weddings, just being out every weekend and committing like a year ahead and I was starting to think I'm going to get married and might want to have a baby and don't want to then be blocked in for a whole year and can't have my baby because <laughs> I've taken too many weddings and... So we were both kind of in this position where we wanted to kind of reduce what we were doing. And she actually said, no, she wouldn't do my wedding. And I was like, "Wow, yeah, but you're going to do it. Like <laughs> I just kept calling her and she. now we laugh about it because she was saying to her husband, you know, I don't know why she thinks I'm doing her wedding. She keeps calling me and talking to me like I'm doing her wedding. And I would <laughs> say to my husband, I don't know why she keeps saying no. Like she's doing my wedding. Like why isn't she? <laughs> so I, I forced her into it and she said, okay, yours will be the last wedding that I do. Okay. And we had an awesome working dynamic. And, yeah, it was like we joke now that it was kind of her and my wedding. <laughs> like we fell in love. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we just – it was – just so much fun and after I really wanted to be friends with her and we went out for a coffee and she was saying she was like really done with weddings now, she didn't want to do it anymore and she wanted to do something else still in the industry. She wanted to use the knowledge that she had being an event planner and she really loved makeup, like she loves Mm. makeup. She was my biggest fan but she didn't want to be a makeup artist. She didn't want to actually be on the tools but she was saying like what could we do that like uses your skills and my skills and maybe makeup education and could we run workshops and what could we do? And I sort of said to her, I've been like cooking this business in my head for all these years that I've never really been able to do it on my own, would you be interested in starting a hair and makeup agency together? And then I think like that night she emailed me like a business plan no and I was like, okay, this is, she's the right person and yeah. she gets things done. Like I always say she makes my dreams come true because I have these dreams <laughs> and then she actually does the stuff that needs to be done to get it off the ground. Yeah. So then it was a lot of talking. It was like six months of like going for coffee probably every two or three days to be like, how are we going to put this together? How is this going to work? What's our strategy going to be? Who are our clients? You know, we really spent a long time working out who we were and who we weren't. Mm, that that's was important. Yeah. 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 Because um, a lot of agencies try and do too much. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we really got it down to a point that we very much saw eye to eye. It's an amazing partnership in that we have really similar values and a really similar vision, but a completely opposite skill set. Yeah. It's so, very similar to Lauren and I. Like, yeah. You're clearly the creative one because obviously you're a hair and makeup artist. Yeah. And she, as an event planner, would have to be very conscientious yep. and drilled and yep. yeah, yeah, and organized and diligent. And, yeah. and I had the contacts. I had the artists. I knew who I wanted to have in the agency. Okay. Um, and so in those early meetings, a lot of them were coming to meet with us because they were my friends and colleagues, and they were really interested in what. I was doing, mm. um, but it was kind of like, I'm going to be handing over to Tully. Like, Tully will be taking over. Um, once the business is launched, like, I'm actually not going to be that involved in the day-to-day running of it. I'm involved in the vision, but she's actually running the show. Okay. So it's you looking at the vision and the creative side of things. Tully's obviously running the day-to-day. Yeah, and she really has more, like, the the business mind, The like, you know, making sure we were never in the red you know, okay, yeah, managing yeah. the money, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That, that's really was um, her department. When did you notice that the business started to turn? Like as in, in, in the positive direction that this was a scalable thing that you could offer? Like the the very first week. <laughs> it was It was unbelievable. We thought 
that Tali would do like three days a week on admin. She'd still be able to freelance as an event planner on the side. I thought we'd give our artists a couple of weddings here and there. We, the day it was like, okay, emails are set up. We're ready to go. All the inquiries that I got, I just had a cut and paste email that I replied. I was like, I'm so sorry I'm not available. Um, here's my team. They're all amazing. I've handpicked the team. Please submit an inquiry. Okay. And Tally rang me like two days later and she was like, um, you have to come over. Um, I really need help. And I went and she'd printed out all the, every single person that I had referred on had inquired. I thought Jesus. most of them would look and be like, nah, if it's not Monica, like, I don't want that. I don't want the team. I'm going to go and find another freelancer. I want to pick who I have. But they all went over <laughs> and she printed them all out because she was like, okay, and the, the, the diary and I have to correlate all this stuff. We had like very basic systems in place <laughs> when we opened. So very quickly we realised we had to have like a different calendar system and yeah. set things up. So there was a lot of um, figuring stuff out as we were rolling. <laughs> but... And then it was like we'd send people a proposal, we'd send them for a trial, they'd want a book, straight away we were, it was off and running and Tully was doing it full time. Damn. It was amazing. We always said like most people start a business and then try and get clients. But I was, for us it was the other way around. I had the <laughs> clients and I needed a business to service them because <laughs> they, were, they were coming to me and they were like, well, so what do we do if you won't do it? Mm. And so I was like, okay, I need to need to set something up to capture them so that I'm still involved, but also to help them because they don't know where else to go. Yeah. It sort of really underlines the power of Instagram and influencer yeah. marketing. And we had a really good website. Yeah. We had a really, really good website. Very transparent. Like the prices are clearly displayed. Yeah. The talent is clearly displayed. Yeah. You can kind of make the decision then and there. Yeah. And something that was really important, I had figured out from running my own you know, business and doing the weddings myself was that people will inquire and not really give up very much information. There might be a wedding date. They write to me, they say, hey, are you available on this date? <laughs> the end. <laughs> and I'd say, um, like, how many people need to be done? Do you need hair and makeup? What time do you need to be ready by? Where are you getting ready? Because then I write back and be like, yeah, I'm available. And then they're like, great. It's in like New South Wales. And like, it's going to be like a five hour drive for me to get there. And Jesus. I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't said yes to that. So I need to know the information before yeah. I agree. So we wrote this amazing form on the website so that when people inquire, they have to fill in all these details so that it really reduces all that back and forth of trying to figure that out. Mm. And as well, like, it's a, there's a tick box of, like, what kind of vibe your wedding is. So if it's, like, more like boho and winery or if it's more, like, elegant and black tie. And yeah. So then we kind of get an idea about who this person is because people inquire. We don't know who they are. We have quite a big group of artists. They're all really similar, but they also all have their strengths and styles. And so by people filling in this form, it really paints a picture of who they are. So we can actually mm. match them with the most appropriate artist. Uh -huh. And it really eliminates a lot of that back and forth. Um, sometimes people don't have all the information, but I think when people fill in the form, they really like it. It's really yeah. fun. Yeah, it is um, fun. Like I can see like if you compare it to, I think what Lauren said, comparison to the other websites, it's... It's actually nice that it's prescriptive because you can, you know, as a customer, that the first thing you're trying to do off the on the offset is is trying to find out whether there's a fit or not. Yeah. So you can work out pretty. It's not a time waster. Exactly. Exactly. Well, like yeah. it ends up wasting a lot more time when people don't fill it in and try and come around like other channels. Like they send us a DM on Instagram and it's like, just that. go to the website. Yeah. Please, there's <laughs> yeah, this. We that's there this for time a reason. But also we, then we set up these amazing back-end systems that when people fill in the form, that goes into a back-end system that becomes like 
um, a, like a deal and mm-hmm. it gets moved along like a process of um, like this booking system so that we can always make sure that we know where a booking is up to at any one stage so that nobody falls through the cracks and they okay. don't get forgotten. Yeah. Because we also know that not everyone wants to book straight away. They want to send an inquiry. They want to get a quote. They might want to shop around, compare prices, have a think about it. In the meantime, they get distracted doing the venue or the catering. They forget yeah. a little bit about makeup. So we're able to then come back and be like, hey, do you still, still, want, still to want to go ahead? And sometimes they're like, oh, my God, totally forgot. Yes, I thought because I filled in the form that that meant that I was booked in. And we're yeah. like, yeah, you need to like. Do you, do you know what system you guys use? It's um, Pipe Drive okay. at the back end. Yeah. Um, and we use PandaDocs to send out proposals. Okay. Um, so when someone inquires and we match them with it, we check that the artist that we think is the best fit is available, um, they get sent a proposal back in PandaDocs, which tells them who they're, they're like a bio of their artist, pictures of their work, uh-huh. um, their invoice, and a bit of a breakdown of the day and how it's going to work. So they actually get pretty much all the information they're going to need really early on in the process. Yeah. If they want to go ahead, they can pay the deposit and then they can organise a trial if they want one. They don't have to. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it just means that the rest of the process is pretty pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. Not all of them. We always say booking hair and makeup for a wedding is like a puzzle and sometimes the puzzle is two pieces and then it goes off and then sometimes it's ten pieces and it goes off and sometimes mm. it's twenty pieces and it goes off because – Sometimes what happens is um, someone will inquire and they'll say, um, it's for me and five bridesmaids and my mum, that's fine, we can get someone for that. And say, Actually, it's hair too. Okay, then we need a second artist. Yeah. Actually, my auntie wants to be done as well. Okay, yeah. so then we need a third artist, but the third artist isn't going to come just for one service. So then we yeah. need to split up all those services over the three artists. That's right, yeah. But then maybe some of those artists go, oh, but you originally told me it was going to be this many services and now you're saying it's less services. So then we need to... <laughs> Manage expectations for the artists as well. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I just spoke to my photographer. Actually, now we need to be ready an hour earlier than I'd said, which means they have to start earlier. And sometimes weddings start very, very early. Yeah, like, yeah you've got to be there fucking early. Yeah. So yeah. doing all those little adjustments to each booking creates quite a lot of back and forth yeah. in the admin end. Plus trials. Yeah, trials as well. Um, and that's the sort of stuff that most makeup artists that I know hate that stuff. They just want to put the makeup on the person and go home. <laughs> they don't want to be working out schedules. They don't want to be working out all the finer details. So the agency is amazing for clients, but it's also really amazing for the artists mm. because they just get to focus on the part that they like and get a call and be like, hey, you're free on this day? And they look in their diary and be like, you want to do six makeups that day? And they're like, yep. Yeah. Great. And it just simplifies everything for them. Definitely. And you can see how it expands as well. You could also, you can start to look at technology and how can that solve some of these even human elements with the back and forth yeah. over time. Yeah. It's really, really fascinating. What have you learned from Tali? A lot. <laughs> a lot. A lot. <laughs> Um, Is there something in particular that stands um, out? Something in particular that stands out. I mean, I think the biggest thing is how important it is to have like a good partnership. Yeah, more than more than it's more like a life lesson than like a business lesson, I guess. Yeah. Just that um, we have a really good partnership and very balanced. We very much like listen to each other and respect what each other has to say, and often counsel each other through, you know, the difficulties that we're each experiencing in our personal life as well as in business. Mm. Um, She's a bit older than me, so I feel like she's like a mentor for me in my life as well, not just in business. But specific to business, um, yeah, she's always very very risk averse. Okay. Yeah. Well, we each take it in terms of being like the accelerator and the brakes. 
one of us will get an idea and then the other one will kind of be like, okay, but what about this? And we always make sure every decision we make is really measured and it would be so easy to bite off more than we could chew, but that's could be a recipe for failure. So we always make sure that anything that we're going to do, that we're going to start new and that we're going to look into is safe and measurable and (laughs) achievable and, yeah, um, but while still trying to grow the business. But um, it's also really hard when you're like, it's when you're working so hard in the business, it's really hard to work on the business. Yeah, it's hard to see that. Yeah. It's very hard to see that. So I guess that goes to the next point that interests me is like, where's the next element of growth? Like, obviously, humans, we've got this inclination to think, okay, you've got to grow in some way. Yeah. For you, it's pretty obvious that what really matters is the creativity and the quality of the people that are on the roster, so to speak. So to expand that, it's not easy. You can't just throw on 10 new people and then all of a sudden you have more capacity. Right. They have to have a certain level, obviously. The go-to-market as well has mainly been, from the sounds of things, pretty organic. Yes. Like it's all Instagram, yep. not much paid advertising, no real emphasis on full-on advertising other than ensuring that Tonic is out there and has a presence yep. on social media. So from your perspective, where does the next stage come for you guys and, you know, is that as much about where the business is going versus where you are personally going um, in life? Yeah. Okay. The, le, there's lots in there. So uh, yeah. I'll, I want, let, let's go back to part one of that yeah. statement. Um, in terms of the marketing that we did, some, we didn't, we haven't done any paid advertising. We don't mm. advertise in wedding magazines or uh, we haven't even done Facebook, Facebook ads, nothing Instagram, like that. It's yeah. it, it, The Instagram is very organic, but something that we did really put a lot of emphasis on was a couple of PR events. So uh-huh. we, um, I do a lot for the Brownlow. I have like yeah. cl- clients in that world. And um, on a Brownlow day, I could only do a couple and I would get asked to do more than I could do. So we got a suite. We invested, instead of investing in advertising, we invested in a suite at Crown. I had my team with me. They were doing all the clients that I couldn't do. And we had a videographer with us and a photographer and we pushed hard on Instagram with that event. So people love Brownlow and that sort of stuff. And then people were kind of saying, who are these people? That's why people often say to us, we see you everywhere on Instagram, but it's because we put a lot of emphasis on these kind of special days. So that was a big success with Brownlow and I really felt like it did put us on the map. That was the year that we launched. Um, And then we did the same for the races. So we set up an online booking system. People could log in, pick the time that they wanted, get their makeup done. We had um, like a upstairs at a hair salon. We just did makeup for the races. And we had, let's say we had 10 artists doing makeups every hour from 5 till 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. We serviced a lot of people in a very short amount of time and also put a lot of emphasis on pushing that PR-wise on social. So doing those sorts of things was very, like, growth-focused for the okay. business. cost us a lot of money. I've got a was, question on that because yeah. we're, we're about to do something similar. We, we, I've mentioned before we're meant to go up to Sydney on Friday. Um we bring the whole roster up from Melbourne and then everyone else is pretty much in Sydney bar one person who's on the Central Coast. We've got TikTok coming along to the event. It's essentially a lunch plus we've got some stuff with all the creators doing brand campaigns, let's say, on the day just like as a test. So it's you can imagine 20 creators putting our name out there essentially. 
When you think about those events, what was the most important thing? Was it the day itself and capturing it across social? Was it capturing it on video and then posting it later? Or was it something else? I think it, it's just... Combination? Yeah. yeah. The client's having a really good experience. Being able to book online and pay by credit card before they even came to their appointment. So then they just like rock in, sit down in their chair, get their makeup done and like leave. And we were on time. Everyone got like a special bottle of fizzy water with tonic written on it. We made our own branded lipsticks, just a small run of products. Everyone got a free lipstick to take home. It was an amazing experience. I think for the people that came as customers had a really, really positive brand experience. But also that would have meant far less if we hadn't been able to capture it well and post it on socials and for people to see what we were doing and how many people we were doing and that not just me doing it because I was doing more like my VIPs, like my media clients and celebrities and influencers, but once I was full, I couldn't do them. So then they yeah. were going to my team and it's not just saying that I was doing it, but my team was doing it as well. Okay. It was amazing. So it's a combination. And then they post about it, it goes mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was, they were amazing brand exercises. Yeah. Um, but in terms of growth and like where we see Tonic going in the future and that sort of thing, um, we say Tonic has lots of tentacles okay. that it could go in any multitude of directions. Like okay. we have our probably biggest footprint in the um, like bridal wedding industry, mm-hmm. but we also do like a bit of education. We do workshops where people can come and learn how to do their own makeup. We also do makeup for photo shoots in the fashion industry. We also have influencer clients. So which one will be the one that will sort of take over. We don't really yeah. know and we're interested in pursuing all those avenues. We want them all to do well. Yeah. So I don't know, we're, we're still kind of figuring it out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's a hard one because if you go down the route of, let's say, fashion or photography shoots, it can become a, a bit of a volume business. Yeah. The wedding side of things, it's less volume-based. We have, then, a, we have a lot of volume with weddings. I know. So. I was going to say, how many, like, do you know roughly how many bookings, are, like, assuming yeah. COVID wasn't happening? Yeah. Um, I don't have, like, the exact numbers. Tully would know. But just as an example, when we had the five-day lockdown, yeah. the, um, which was in April, March, March, April. Yeah, it was like. Yeah, we had 28 bookings in five days. Jesus. Yeah. And they all had to be rescheduled. Can now, you imagine? What, <laughs> of that, so these were all weddings, right? Yeah. Oh, that, some of them may have been a hens or a 40th or a 30th. Or I'd be fascinated to know what most people did. Like, did they delay it a week? Did Because I know, like, we've had Laura and Steph on the podcast and she, yeah. Laura had her wedding. Yeah. Canceled. Yeah, we were meant to be doing it. Were you? Yeah. Fuck. yeah. All right. So, and I noticed, I think I spoke to Dalton and they had to move their wedding, yeah. like, six months or yep. like later in the year or something yep. because unfortunately venues, like they're really, really booked yep. out. Mm-hmm. So I was saying before, we were so fucking lucky. Yeah, you were really lucky. <laughs> Some people just planned one wedding and had that one wedding yeah. and then we have other clients that have rescheduled four times. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so our original wedding was meant to be October and I knew in, in February I made the call to move it to the following April Yeah, because I was just like, this is 100% going to be a thing. Yeah. I think it was actually the, it must have been March actually. When was that 13th, Friday the 13th, the Grand Prix was basically cancelled. Yes. That's when I was like, yeah, this is going to be a year. Yeah. And. um, Yeah, good call. 
It was a lucky call. Yeah. Very lucky call. Yeah. Um, we had some people who's like with that five-day lockdown, the circuit breaker lockdown, it started, came in on the Friday, I think, and when they announced it and it was like coming in from midnight, we had yep. some clients call Tully and be like, can we have someone today? We're going to get married today. Yeah. And Tully would call the artist and be like, can someone go and do makeup today? And they were all our artists were amazing. If they weren't working, they put their hand up, yep, I'll do it. Yeah. Even if it wasn't their client, like that they were supposed to be doing the wedding, amazing if they were because then they actually got to see that booking through Yeah, and just like go now, go to her house now. She's jumped in the shower <laughs> and they got married that day. Yeah. And that's happened a couple of times. But that's that's a great human thing, right, is like when you have moments like that. Yeah. Is just like make it happen. You just fucking you just do just it. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone gets it. Yeah. Um, and it's the rescheduling is difficult because they might reschedule the client might reschedule for a day that their artist that they had chosen and had a trial with is already booked on another wedding. We're not gonna pull mm. them off someone else's wedding. Yeah. So they have to have, you know, somebody else. But that's what's amazing about our team is they're all quite similar aesthetically. So mm. anyone from our team is people are gonna be happy. So when it comes to Product differentiation, we've discussed that quality is that component and the next stage of growth or change, it's sort of a wait and see this space. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued. You've been in the industry for 15 plus years now. Yeah. Um, everyone says what is new or trending. I'm just intrigued to know what what doesn't really change about the business ever. Um, what doesn't change? That's a good question. Because it's a big focus on what does change. Because the industry is completely different now to when I started. Oh, yeah. Like when I started, Facebook didn't even exist, let alone Instagram or (laughs) YouTube. And Instagram and YouTube have completely changed the industry. Yeah. Completely. But what hasn't changed? Um, I think just being dedicated, good at your job, easy to work with. Mm. You know, you may have... 100,000 followers on Instagram and you may be really, really good at putting makeup on yourself, but if you're not great at working on set, that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, if you're not a good person, because it is a people business. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if, you, if you're if you a bit of a douche to work with, right. it's going to be pretty tough for tough. you to do well in the industry. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you wish you got asked in a lot of it? You've done a lot of these interviews now. There's always the cliche questions. What do you wish people asked you more of? Um... Or that you could talk more about. Um, Don't you love that when you just sprung with one of those questions? You just like, <laughs> <laughs> can you send that. this to? I'm trying to. I mean, I have the answer in my head. I'm trying to build the question to work out what, <laughs> how to. Um, um, I guess this is what I was thinking just before when we were talking about like what is growth for Tonic. Mm. Um, we've spoken to like a lot of business mentors to try and help us grow the business. And it's really easy for someone who doesn't understand our business to say, you know, there's like apps, like, um, it's like Uber, but for a makeup artist, you put in your date and you put in your address and it like sends you a makeup artist and trying to explain to people in business why that won't work for us. And that like growth isn't the only measure of success. No. That's, think- that's probably something that I think is really important. Growth is really important and but also like getting making sure you can manage that growth because mm. we could grow and, you know, do lots of things, but if we're not going to be able to maintain it, what's the point? Yeah, and not everyone needs to be a tech company or a tech product. I feel like the industry is, yeah. whether it's a hair and makeup um, agency, whether it's a digital agency, whatever it is, the industry is guilty of that. People try and want to mimic tech products because they use them a lot. Yeah. 
and they think they have we, I was guilty of that we used to have packages listed on the website but what I realized is actually we only ever need 15 clients and over time certain clients will leave and then others will come and they will spend more money with us because we've improved as an agency yeah and that's what really matters I I feel like for you guys that is sort of a similar direction is you only have so much talent, but the quality continues to increase and maybe the type of things that you get to work on yeah. increases. Yeah, totally. What that is, I don't know because I'm, you know, not you guys, you're in you're in the depths of the industry yeah. and you're probably going to know what that yeah. is. Yeah, and like, you know, the people say, are you going to expand? Like, will you expand to Sydney? Will you expand to Byron or, you know, other places in Australia? And it's like we really easily could and we really easily could recruit people just based off their Instagram. But something that I really learned is that it's really easy to fake a lot on Instagram and that mm. um, I've seen a lot of really great Instagrams and then when I see them work in person, I'm just like, mm, mm. it's probably not as good as I thought it was going to be or they might do beautiful makeup but they don't have a great like bedside manner or yeah. or they don't present well personally or don't have great like communication with their clients and that kind of thing. Or it might be a lot of focus on the makeup that they want to do, not focus on the makeup that the client wants or listening to what the clients are after. Mm. You could do the best makeup in the world, but if it isn't what your client wants, they don't care. Yeah. They want to look good for them. It's not about you as the artist. It's about what the clients are after. So would we expand to those areas? Like I'd love to, but it would mean me going and meeting people and recruiting people. I would... You know, it's the personal touch is what makes us so strong. Well, maybe that's the next thing is like finding whether it's another business partner or another person that you and Talia are comfortable with as being, you know, that for us, for for someone like Lauren, who's a creative director, the next thing for her is eventually becoming an executive creative director and having creative directors beneath her. Yeah. So maybe that's the next thing. Yeah. Maybe you need a Sydney creative director or Byron or Brisbane or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, is, it could, and then in terms of the education, like would I love to do more in that space? Like absolutely, would yeah. love to do that. Do you think you ever drop doing day-to-day makeup? I don't think, I think that's that's what I really want to do and that's what's also really hard is that do mm. I want to like quit my job to develop my business more? I don't really. I, I like putting makeup on people. I like doing photo shoots. I like working with my clients. So not doing that and just focusing on the business I'm not sure. Yeah. I think I'll miss it. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. All right, let's jump into some rapid-fire questions to finish things off. Sure. I uh, heard you thought about best purchase under $200. Yeah. What was yeah, it? Yeah, I did have to think about <laughs> yeah. it. Um, an Ecosa pillow. Like, okay. Yeah, because um, waking up without back pain is... Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you sleep on your back or your side? Well, now, now either, but I used to sleep on my tummy. Oh, really? Which is turns out really, really Terrible bad feet. for your back. Yeah. And an Ecosa pillow, you can't sleep on your tummy because it's weird. Okay, so how do you spell that? Ecosa, yeah. A-C-O-S-A? Yeah, I think it's E-C-O. Okay, because... It's one of those ones that it's like flat at the bottom and then it goes like that. Okay, cool, because I'm looking at the... I've just been served with a bunch of Instagram ads because my pillow is old as fuck. Like it really needs to change and it's super flat and I just had like a sleep test and I've got a mild apnea. Okay. So like I snore and it's only something that – because Lauren's a really deep sleeper. We only recently realised this. And (laughs) and there's not much I can do about it because I'm not stopping breathing, but the the sleep specialist is like, you should probably look at maybe changing your pillow. Yeah. And like I told him my mattress is like seven years old. 
should probably get a new yeah. mattress. Yeah. It's still really comfy, but he's like, you know, you need to change that stuff up. And so nonstop, I'm getting these like um, ergonomic pillows and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we, I just bought one. Yeah, online. I hadn't tried it out. Heard it was good. Gave it a go. Okay. I'm enjoying it. But if you're used to a very old flat pillow, it'll be a big adjustment. Really? Because it's quite firm and quite high. So why why did you get it? Um, because you were sleeping on your I think I went, we went away for a weekend or something and they had a pillow. It wasn't that brand, but one like that where it's like got that the groove in the middle like that. Yeah, better neck posture. Yeah, and uh, it was really good. And yeah, I just heard that that was a so, good so one. So what did you so, notice? Like you just didn't have back pain? or Yeah, I just didn't wake up with like my whole body in pain. <laughs> Shit, okay. I really need to look at this and yeah. get down to this way. <laughs> and stopping sleeping on my tummy probably also probably helped. Probably helped yeah. things a little yeah. bit. Um, morning and evening routine, what does that look like? Well, I now have a one-and-a-half-year-old, so he wakes me up at like let's say seven on a good day. Okay. That's what we're aiming for. We're always aiming for seven. Yep. Sometimes it's earlier. Um Get him up, make him breakfast. I try and eat at the same time while he like runs circles around me. Um, depending on, well, it's it's hard for me to have to say an exact routine because every day is different for me. So sometimes yeah. I, I go to work even before he wakes up, but other times we'll get up together and then my husband might take over the morning routine while I go and get ready and go to work. Okay. I never forget my skincare yep. routine in the morning. Have you got all the uh, hyaluronic acids yep. and all that sort of yeah, stuff? Yeah, all that, serums and... I got, Sunscreen and I got a hydrofacial before the wedding. Nice. That shit's fucking addictive. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's like it's really good. Whoa, look yeah. at all the gunk in yeah. there. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you come out like all shiny. Yeah. 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 So they sold me really well. They they upsold me really well. They yeah. got me on all the, the acids and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. It's good. It's good for you. Yeah. 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 So I really like doing all of that stuff. Like even when when my baby, when Brody was really young and I found that it was like even a struggle to have a shower and like get dressed, I would always wash my face and put my skincare on. That was mm. just like a constant that made me feel like it takes a minute and it made me feel like I was doing something special for myself and made me feel like I was still looking after myself. Yeah, so, you still felt like a human. Yeah. 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 Okay, so evening routine, what does that look like? Um, after Brody's gone to bed, my husband and I usually have dinner together, watch something. And mm-hmm. spend some time with us each on our phones. <laughs> yeah. Watch something Are else. Are you guys guilty of that, of watching the TV? Yeah, you're on your phones. And we're both phones. on our phones. Yeah. yeah. But we, we'll sort of get to a point where we'll be like, all right, we've been doing that for long enough. Put them away. Yeah. Let's watch something. Or one of you will put it down and be like, why are you on your phone? Yeah. <laughs> it's like um, you were just doing that a yeah, minute that's, ago. That's, that's yeah, that's a bad standard. habit that we have. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then I'm, I'm always in bed earlier. And okay. then I go upstairs, do the skincare again with yep. the nighttime stuff. Yeah. Okay. I have my magnesium before bed and then nice. I'm usually in bed around 10. A particular type of magnesium? Um, I'm using Wagner's okay. at the moment. You just like powder, you drink it, mix it in with water and drink it. Yeah, my, my really PT good. got me onto, like he's like, oh, you could take glycinate magnesium. Okay. I'm like, okay. For muscles? Fine. Yeah, for yeah. like relaxing you at yeah. night. Um, it's so good. I have to read because I'm a very tense A-type individual. I have to read and take magnesium to like properly... Like, like I'll power unwind. down after yeah. half an hour. I can't be on my phone. Yeah. I won't fall asleep. Yeah. Um, speaking of watching the TV, and last question for you, what have you been watching lately that you would recommend to the audience? Um, we've been watching um, 
Conan O'Brien's travel series on Netflix. Okay. Have you seen it? No, I've seen the trailer for it. It's so funny. Okay. Like I didn't, I wasn't a Conan fan. I never watched, I didn't have Foxtel growing up. I, I didn't really know. I knew who Conan was, but I didn't know his humour. I had never watched the show and my husband really liked him and said, let's watch okay. um, his travel series. And, oh, man, did we laugh a lot. <laughs> He's so funny. And so yeah. my, they're all good, but my recommendations are Cuba, Israel and Italy episodes okay, are sick. like fucking hilarious. Yeah, because we need a new series. We just finished Startup. I would say Conan's like the only funny one of those late night TV show hosts. Yeah, he's he's a comedian. Yeah, like he can do stand up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I remember when he came to Australia just before COVID, and he was doing this stuff with like the Sydney Swans, and it was so fucking funny. Yeah, he's a really funny guy. Yeah. How old is that series? Is it recent? Um. In the last couple of years, maybe two years. Okay. Yeah. We've watched it a few times through because it's so funny. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, we'll make sure we link all that. Um, Monica, where can people find you on the interwebs? They can find me on Instagram at monicagingold underscore beauty and on my website, monicagingold.com and through Tonic. Tonic's Instagram is tonic.makeup.hair and tonicagency.com.au. Okay. When are you going to get on TikTok? Just worked out how to do reels on Instagram. <laughs> Sorry, you yeah. just repurposed that onto, onto Yeah, TikTok. seriously. You know, just doing the job used to be enough and then just posting a photo of the job used to be enough. Now I have to take a video every yeah. time I now do a makeup a and edit it into a video. Every time I do a job or it looks like you're not working. <sighs> TikTok as well. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. TikTok's the future though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get left behind. I'm not, I'm not biased. I'm not biased yeah. at all. Uh, Monica, thank you so much for coming Thanks in. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you do like it, please subscribe and, of course, like if you're watching the YouTube video as well. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. You can also find our Clips channel in the description. For audio, if you're not already listening, you can search Uncommon on Pocket Cast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts quite easily. For video, if you're not watching, you can search Uncommon on YouTube. And for behind-the-scenes takes and clips uh, on social media, then definitely check out at Uncommon underscore show on Instagram. But otherwise, look, thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, thanks for listening.